With over 30 years of experience in the world of martial arts, Siddhartha Bhatt's journey is a testament to his commitment to self-improvement and discipline. His expertise is prominently displayed through his 15-year tenure as a member of Team Canada in the sport of Taekwondo. As a Team Canada veteran, he represented our country on the international stage, earning much respect and accolades for his skill, technique, and sportsmanship. In the discussion today, we talk about his journey from a child to representing Team Canada to now instructing others in the sport of Taekwondo and how he uses the skills and disciplines that Taekwondo brought to his life, to his mind, in his everyday journey. I welcome to Rachel Thexton Connects, Master Martial Artist, Team Canada Veteran, and Certified Personal Trainer, Siddhartha Bhatt. Okay, so today on the podcast, I have a very unique guest, uh, a special guest who has accomplished things in his life that are not only challenging, but incredibly unique and take an immense amount of discipline. Um, today, I'd like to welcome to Rachel Thexton Connects, a master martial artist, a Team Canada veteran, and a certified personal trainer, Siddhartha Bat, otherwise known in the, uh, it, would it be studio, uh, Master Bat. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for being here. So what would we say, how would we describe the space in which you practice Taekwondo? Is it studio? Yeah, you, I mean, there's many different ways to call it. You can call it a studio. You can call it a dojo. Um, I used to call it just a club, like the training club. Okay. That I was training at. Um, yeah, it, really, there's so many different names for it. But yeah, studio, dojo, gym. So I... First got to know you when my little guy uh, started Taekwondo. I mentioned on social media this morning that um, he's a hard one to connect with. Uh, and you were uh, one of the only who managed to do so in a very firm way, which I didn't know how that would go over with him. Mm -hmm. uh, he still talks about you in kind of a way in which is filled with fear and intimidation uh, mixed with respect, interest, and always wanting to see your Instagram photos. So, you know, it's clear that you were doing something right. So I just wanted to let you know about that before we started. It's important to me. There's your cat behind you, which we'll discuss a little bit later. <laughs> well, um, Master Bad and I are doing a, a video uh, conversation today, so I'm able to see his cat in our conversation. Um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit about your journey. Mm -hmm. So. You know, Taekwondo, you, maybe something you take as a lesson or something as a discipline as a youth, but how did you become involved in it? Tell me a little bit about your childhood and how you went from there to progressing to such a senior level in the sport. Yeah, so with Taekwondo, I mean, to start, I just, I don't, I don't remember much as a child. I, it's, it was, it's a long time ago now, but what I do, what I've been told and some of the memories that I do remember was just that I was a terrible kid. Like I just, I wasn't diagnosed, but I definitely had ADD, ADHD, whatever you want to call it. Back in the day, we didn't um, really go to the doctors and figure out what was going on. We just tried to figure it out on our own um, or through other avenues and venues. And so I do remember that I was not a very good kid. I had a lot of energy, but I didn't know how to channel that energy. And I was also a very 
kind of selfish kid. So I kind of always wanted the spotlight to be on me. And that I think that translated a little bit later on when I did start competing. It did kind of help me a little bit, especially in an individual sport. But coming back to the beginning, I was, uh, so I was brought up, uh, my, so my background is Sri Lankan and Indian, okay. predominantly, predominantly Indian. I was brought up in an Indian household and we were brought up with discipline, punishment, um, physical discipline, but not obviously abuse is a difference to me. And I always kind of clarify this because it's very important to me when I'm teaching my students uh, that they understand the difference between being abused and being disciplined. I know the day and age and in this day and age, things have changed a lot. But for me to be the person that I am today had to do a lot with the way that I was brought up, both in my house and as well as in my martial arts studios. So what would happen was when I was young, what my what my mom and my aunt would used to tell me was um, when there were other kids around, I would kind of go around when people weren't looking and I kind of hit them a little bit or I pinched them a little bit and kind of like just understanding that I'm not the only one in the room anymore. There's other kids here. And so they're taking attention away from me. And I did not like that. So I would do these things to hurt these kids. And obviously, my family did not like that. that it's all about respect and, and treating people properly. So I would obviously get disciplined. I get punished. So I get a little slipper here. I get the belt there, you know, face the wall, this and that, all those types of things. But nothing really worked. Couldn't figure it out. And they they just, they were essentially fed up. So I remember my Mom, and I think it was my grandfather as well, they they were like, we need to put him into something. We need something. Obviously, what we're doing is not helping. So we got to figure out something because otherwise this kid is going to turn out to be just a terrible kid, you know? And um, fortunately, there was a Taekwondo school close to where we lived. And so my mom brought me to that school and I remember crying. I remember not wanting to be there, you know, just that new environment, right? We understand as kids, we we don't like things that are new. We don't like change. I mean, even as adults, we don't like change. <laughs> change is very difficult. Yes. So I remember, my, my mom kind of clarifies this and always kind of reminds me. So we, we go, we went there and I remember doing a class and I wasn't great and I got in trouble and I got punished and my instructor came to my mom and kind of after the class told him, listen, you have a good kid, like deep down, he has, he, he means well, but he just doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't understand what he's doing. So I need to discipline him. And I need to kind of, I need to be tough on him. And that might mean that he's going to be holding a plank in the corner for a little while. That might mean that I have to take my stick and smack his bum a little bit. Like I'm not going to hurt him, but I need him to know that if he does things that are not correct, there's going to be consequences for that because that's life. That's what happens in life. Like the problem is, is we, Nowadays, we try to, in my opinion, at least, we try to pamper our kids a little bit too much and coddle them a little bit too much, but that's not the reality of it. It's great now, but then when they get into the real world, that doesn't help. And so my, I remember my mom being like, listen, we do all that type of stuff at home. So you can, you have the freedom to do whatever you want. Just please make my child good. And, yes. um, and so I, I think, I remember them telling me, I think for the first few months, I, I was just always in the corner. I was always punished. I was that kid that was just always in the corner, holding planks, facing the wall, uh, holding horse stands, like, you know, like wall sits, that type of stuff. And just constantly crying, constantly, just, it just didn't click. But my master was like, it doesn't matter. You're Until it clicks for you, you're gonna keep feeling this type of pain that you don't like. If you don't like this pain, you need to change something. It doesn't need to be all at once, but little things have to change. And over time, that's what happened. And what actually helped with that was 
when we started doing so in martial arts and in Taekwondo, there's different streams. So you have like the patterns or Pumse stream or the katas in karate, where you do a lot of the forms and it's a lot more about your blocks and your strikes and your stances and how you look. And then there's the fighting side of it, which is obviously the competition side of it, where you're fighting against somebody trying to score points or knock them out, whatever it may be. And then there's obviously the self-defense side of things too, where you're teaching and learning how to defend yourself. I was really good at the fighting. I was, I was honestly, I was, I was good at everything, but I enjoyed the fighting. That doesn't surprise me. And yeah, yeah. Then, and, uh, so that kind of helped a little bit too, in terms of, uh, channeling my energy and channeling my focus. And then that was also once my master kind of figured out that this was something that I was good at, that was another tool to use to get me to focus. If I didn't listen, I didn't get to spar or train. I didn't get to do this drill. I didn't get to do this. I had to do the exercise I didn't want to do, you know? And so all these little tools and all these little strategies eventually helped me kind of zone into place and over time get me to uh, where I was and where I continue to be. Wow. So, yeah, there's a lot of things there. I mean, there there are various viewpoints and perspectives on how to raise your kids and discipline them. And I think it's, you know, I think each parent should approach that uh, in a way that's best for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and as you've identified, you know, abuse is never okay. Um, no. But there's certain levels of discipline that, um, you know, uh, work for children and are actually help them to thrive. Um, and it reminds me much of my husband. He grew up in the Dominican culture, mm -hmm. um, very different from ours, where, you know, the and well, I got the odd spanking too, but his was a little bit more than me. Yes. Um, you know, he, he he was very much like you in which that was very normal for him. So when we had our children, that was his natural approach, yes. whereas my natural approach was much softer, you know. Right. And we don't uh, use the approach with Grayson because we found my son, because we found that he simply doesn't react to it, yeah. right? He doesn't react to it. But he, and, and by that, I mean, I don't mean physical violence, but I mean, you know, a little pat on the butt or a spank yeah. on the butt or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. But in your, in the Taekwondo practice, when he was with you, he did react to that in the sense that he wanted to please. He wasn't always able to do so due to his age and lack of focus, but he wanted to and made the effort. And so I think it's really interesting how, you showed up in tears and your master found a way to use your passion to incentivize you essentially to yeah. find a love for the sport. Mm -hmm. Smart well, move. Absolutely. And to clarify, the the beauty of um, putting kids into martial arts and kind of the whole discipline aspect of it is a part of it is toughening them up so you you're going to get tough regardless of what you do any sport that you play and we'll continue talking about that because i think it's important regardless of what sport you do that you put your kids in sports it's important but with taekwondo with karate kickboxing mma judo jiu-jitsu all these things the primary focus here is for you to be tough for you to be strong because you are essentially whether you want to or not because you again you can choose Kids can choose if they want to do sparring. Sparring is fighting. Kids can choose if they want to do pumse, or kids can choose if they just want to do the sport, get their black belt, and then keep going. 
maybe become a leader, become an instructor, eventually a master or whatever it may be. But in the process of that, if you're trying to get those belts and do those things, you need to do a little bit of sparring, do a little bit of board breaking, do a little bit of self-defense. And all these things require your body to be strong. So when you get disciplined, when I got disciplined, for example, and I got the stick, I got the stick to my legs or my butt, it wasn't to hurt me. It was more so kind of like, listen, pay attention. You're going to get this. But also, once you get this, your body's going to get tougher. So now when somebody goes, when you're fighting and they kick you in the leg, it's not going to break you down. When you're out in the street and somebody goes to push you, it's not going to phase you as much because you got people that are trying to beat you up and hurt you in a safe environment at your Taekwondo school or at your studio, whatever it is. Or you got your master hitting you with a bamboo stick to straighten you up. So then some guy that tries to mess around with you or in a competition, somebody that kind of hits you and it feels like a little tap is not going to change you. It's not going to phase you. And so that is a really important part of it too, is where you kind of, you're toughening them up, toughening their skin, their bones, all that stuff, because you can see there's always, there's always two types of kids. One kid that falls down, gets back up, dusts off and keeps going. And the other kid that falls down and starts crying over a little boo-boo that really, it could be hurt. It, it could be painful, of course, but the theatrics behind it is different, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're obviously looking for attention or they're just, they haven't been taught how to be tough in that situation. It's okay. It's okay to have a little bit of blood. It's okay to be a little scratch. It's okay to have a little bruise. It's not going to stop you from doing something. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny now that you say that, that, you know, in the Canadian culture, hockey, you know, they're fighting and teeth are being knocked out and blood is everywhere and no mm-hmm. one says a thing about it, mm-hmm. exactly. you know, and then we, yeah. we go to Taekwondo and we're talking about what you're saying and there might be some comments like, oh goodness, that sounds quite aggressive. Yes. Well, goodness yes. sakes, I mean, gosh, there's grown men knocking each other's teeth out yeah. exactly. in the sport of hockey. So <laughs> that really resonated with me that all sports have, well, most sports have that that contact level and a lot of them have a fair amount of violence involved in them too. Yeah. And and this is less so violence in my opinion than like you say, um, strategic ways mm-hmm. of kind of disciplining and training. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, 100%. Interesting, okay. I wanted to ask you uh, about your experience. I wanna get to your experience with Team Canada, but first I wanna ask you um, briefly about training youth and children Mm -hmm. so you've obviously encountered encountered a variety of types of children different personalities different you know uh mannerisms things like that my son Mm -hmm. being one that's probably on the more challenging side and um you know there can be a lot of negative influences and i think nowadays you know it's hard to say but i think there are more negative influences nowadays with social media you know yeah. we've got our drug crisis and mental health crisis running rampant um a lot of negative temptations do you think that two prong question for you do you think that young people becoming involved in martial arts such as taekwondo at a young age can support them from the lures of kind of these negative influences and second of all if you had a crystal ball do you think if taekwondo was not incorporated into your life that you would have gone down um, a darker path yeah so i i'll answer that second question first because i do believe that if i wasn't in taekwondo i don't know what other sport i really would have been put into and i think i would have probably gone down a, a bad path um so I kind of emailed it to you, but growing up, we kind of moved, we moved around a few times, um, not too much, but 
we did move a couple times and the neighborhoods that we lived in weren't great. I'm not that they were the hood, but it wasn't the hood hood, you know, like we didn't have people all the time strapped up and walking around gunshots all the time, but you did have, you know, the odd crackhead here and there. You had people kind of doing the things that they had to do on the streets and you had kids out late at night doing stuff. And like, you're looking at these kids, they're like 12, 13, 14. Like, why are you out at 12 o'clock, one o'clock in the morning? Like, it's just crazy. Yes. And I had some friends that were kind of like that. And I always wanted to do that stuff. I always wanted, I was, I was the first born. So obviously with the first child, you're always a little bit more protective. And with the second and third children, like it's a little bit, it eases off a little bit more, but that first kid always takes everything because you don't know. Right. I remember my brother, my brother was like grade seven, grade eight, and he was out till like 12 o'clock sometimes. And I was, I was never allowed to be out past like nine ever. Like as soon as the sun went down, I had to be home. That must've pissed you off. Oh yeah. 100%. It did. It did for sure. But as you get older and I mean, and that's probably uh, one of the reasons why when we were younger, my brother and I didn't have a great relationship too. Cause I was maybe a little bit more jealous of him because he had a little bit more freedom. Um, he also had the little brother card. So he would like, you know, every once in a while he could whine and kind of complain. And then I'd get in trouble. Even if sometimes I didn't do anything, just the odd, like, Oh, don't do that. And it's, I didn't do anything. And I just get in trouble for getting in trouble. But mm -hmm. I do believe that if I wasn't put in Taekwondo, I would, I would have been down a, a, a different path. And also just maybe not even a path of like drugs or gangs or any of that type of stuff, but just like very undisciplined, very unfocused and, um, not really understanding what my calling is, you know? And I feel like Taekwondo helped me with that. Yeah. And uh, just because I do love other sports and I would have loved to do, I, I mean, I played a lot of sports growing up, but I resonated with Taekwondo the most. And I'm just fortunate that I was put into that. Now to get back to what it does for children. So the way I look at it is, I always speak about martial arts in terms of, or sports in general, in terms of their primary objective. So most sports, their primary objective is whatever the goal is, right? So for basketball, your goal is to put the ball in the net. Soccer, your goal is to put the ball in the net. Um, hockey, your goal is to put the puck in the net. So these are their objectives. And obviously, we we have other things that we care about, other characteristics like teamwork, building camaraderie, communication, all those things play a factor. But ultimately, if one kid or a couple kids are great at that objective, they're going to be superior to everybody else. In terms of martial arts, the primary objective is always discipline first. It's discipline and focus. Everything else comes after that. If you're disciplined, if you're focused, if you're strong with your objectives, uh, if you're strong with, your, with, with those um, tenets and characteristics, everything else can come into place. Your pattern will be a lot better. Your kicks will be a lot sharper. Understanding movement and, and reading your opponents will be a lot better because you're a lot sharper and more focused. So I always talk to, when I talk to parents, I always tell them martial arts primary focus is always discipline and, and, and concentration. Other sports, that's a byproduct of doing that stuff. So that allowed me to obviously develop those skills that I needed. And once I developed those skills, of course, when you're in something for a long time, you build friendships, you build bonds, and those things help you as well, too. If me and my friends are doing the same thing here, trying to get to this competition and win a gold medal, that's going to be our focus. So anything else outside of that, whether my other friends are doing all these other things, it's not going to deter me. It's not going to pull me away. Now, fortunately, I was around people that understood my goal. So from a young age, once I started winning and 
competing at a semi semi high level. Um, this is I'm talking about like around nine, ten, eleven, twelve. I knew that okay, this is what I want to do. I want to become a national champion, and then over over time, I want to get to the Olympics. Because at the time, Taekwondo was the only sport in the Olympics. Uh, maybe ju maybe jujitsu or judo. Sorry, not jujitsu. Maybe judo, but outside of that, Taekwondo was the only big martial art. Karate wasn't in it. Uh, sorry, boxing is in it too. But so I was like, okay, this is the pinnacle of our sport. I want to get to that. So when I'd hang out with friends outside of Taekwondo, I would tell them, hey, listen, like I'm not about this life. I'm not about smoking. I'm not about drinking. I can't do this stuff. I want to party. I'd love to come out and party with you guys, but I got to go to train. I got to go do this because this is my goal. And fortunately, they were very supportive. They're, okay, Sid, I got you. Don't worry. We understand that this is what you want to do. It's all good. But every once in a while, you know, they'd still try to pull me along, drag me along. But it, fortunately, I was zoned in and I had other friends that kept me zoned in. Okay, you're going to training today? Okay, bet. I'm coming to training too. Sweet. So that's how martial arts helped me. And that's how I feel like it helped kids. It helps kids as well. Because you build the communication. You build the understanding. You build the trust, the focus, the discipline. And then you understand, okay, I want to get to my black belt or I want to get to my red belt. And I got Timmy over here, who's my good friend, but he's already at his red belt and I'm only blue belt. I got to catch up. I got to get to him. So that means I got to train harder. Otherwise, he's going to surpass me. So all these little things kind of come together and allow the children to zone into that instead of getting deterred into negative influences uh, or activities. Yeah, no, I think that's amazing. Um, my son had show and tell. Uh, he does it once a year, I believe. His is, is his turn, and he brought his. He's on double yellow stripe belt. Nice. And he brought his double yellow stripe belt, and that was his show and tell. So he's Love very, that. very proud of it, and um, especially for a child who's used to being told, no, don't, no, don't, so many mm -hmm. times, to be able mm -hmm. to tell for someone to say, awesome, good job. Mm -hmm. We're proud of you. And that's what we try to say more of. Um, but I think those are all amazing points. And I want to know about adults. So mm -hmm. clearly I'm an adult. Mm -hmm. um, I have a history of mental health issues. I have a history of substance use disorder. Okay. Um, it's been quite a few years since I've been, you know, actively involved in, in kind of ch having challenges with those things. Um, but those things are always a part of you and you can't let, you can't forget those. You can't forget that or it can creep back in, you know? So I'm always trying to consider, you know, ways to protect my mind and protect my judgment and my, my mental health. So what are your thoughts about adults getting involved in martial arts? Um, you know, obviously we're a lot further down the road and we're not going to be, you know, competing for Team Canada. But what are your thoughts on that? Uh, so I think that martial arts is is great for everybody. Uh, and I always say that and that's the beauty of it, too, is that it doesn't matter how old you are. Certain sports, you have to play them for a long time for your body to remember it, muscle memory. So see a lot of um dads and stuff as they get older they go into their beer leagues and do the hockeys or the basketball pickup ball or soccer whatever it may be but that's because they've played that for a long time if i haven't done any of that and i just jump right in it's going to be very difficult now if i'm an athletic person of course that's not a problem but more times than not as we get older we continue playing the sports that we've played our whole life martial arts is very easy to jump into taekwondo so I mean, I'd love for everybody to do Taekwondo. That's just, um, if I'm being biased, of course. 
but I realized um, when I started teaching more and more, I realized that my adults classes were always a little bit smaller because I zoned in on Taekwondo, predominantly Taekwondo. And a lot of adults, I mean, as we get older, we know that our body starts to wear down. And one of the biggest things that we have issues with is our hips. Mm. And with Taekwondo, you got to be able to, one of the, one of the highlights of Taekwondo is their kicks. Obviously it's predominantly kicking, but their kicks, they're fast, they kick high and there's a lot of spins, a lot of turns. So it's, it's very beautiful to watch, yeah. but as we get older, that might be a little bit difficult for our bodies to do, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I've had a lot of adults injure themselves, not, not because I trained them poorly or they did it. It's just the body's just not used to that movement. Mm -hmm. So you kick and you can only probably kick to the knee level, for example. Then you got a, a friend of yours who's kicking and they're kicking now to the body. And you're like, oh, what the heck? Okay, I want to, I got to kick to the body too. So then you pick it up and you do it because the beauty of the body is it adapts quickly. So when, you, when you're warm, it's, it's about dynamic movement. So the body will pick it up, pick it up and you're good, you're good, you're good. And then afterwards you're done, you're stretching. And then the next day you're like, okay, I think I kind of maybe pulled something. What's going on here? This feels bad. This hurts. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, now I got to take time off and I can't come to training for two weeks or three weeks. And okay, now I'm pain, but I'm not coming into train and da, 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 da. So what I've, what I've kind of incorporated now with adults is I teach them a little bit of a, a fusion of boxing and, and Taekwondo. So it's essentially a little bit of kickboxing, um, a little bit of Muay Thai too, really, the beauty of it is understanding your whole body. And as adults, what I do enjoy with adults is they already know their bodies. As kids, we don't understand rotation. We don't understand balance. We're, we're, we're learning that, but we don't know how to do it properly. Right. With adults, for the most part, you understand. Now, there's some adults that really don't know their bodies, and that's because they haven't done any type of sport. And those adults are fun as well because it's like, it's like teaching a kid, essentially. Yes. <laughs> but it is still – it's a great – stress release i think it's important for everybody to do some form of martial arts twofold number one like i said for stress release everybody's got stress especially post covid during covid so many things going on i mean you can even just see what's going on in the world and and, and we're fortunate to be on this side over here we have no idea about the crap that's going on over there really yes. like, we don't as much as we can say and feel and this and that like we don't know what it's like to be here and all of a sudden boom just a bomb just drops like that just we're fortunate to be on this side. No, thanks so, for saying that. It's it's so course. important. Of course, absolutely. Like this is, we take things for granted out here. And that's, again, the, the we'll come back to about the one, the one thing that I love that Taekwondo was able to do for me was I got to travel the world and I got to see other countries. I got to train with other people. I got to see the way, oh, over here, we got air conditioning and we're training here. Over there, they're training outside. They got no mats. And so what are we complaining about over here? It's beautiful. So when I teach my kids, that's what I kind of tell them is like, yo, you guys are lucky. You got food on the table. You got parents that are good. Some kids don't have a bed to go to sleep in. You know, some kids are walking to their Taekwondo school to train or their soccer game to train or play. And so we have all this stuff out here, but we got to be grateful for the stuff that we have. Right. Yes. So having, having that outlet to kind of relieve stress is beautiful. That's number one. The second thing is everybody needs to know how to protect themselves. You have to. And if everybody knows how to protect themselves, nobody will need to protect themselves. So the thing, the thing with martial arts, and it, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into some of the other questions as well, but if you know how to fight, you never need to fight. That's, that's the goal of learning to do this stuff is channeling your energy in the right way so you don't need to do it. Because I know I've knocked people out. I've almost got knocked out. I've had I've had semi concussions, this and that. I've never, fortunately, I've never been knocked out. 
but I've knocked people out. I've broken people's teeth. I've, I've broken ribs. I've done all this type of stuff. And I know the feeling. And in the moment, it's great because I, that's what I need to do. I'm, I'm trying to win the fight. But as soon as it's done, I feel really bad. I go talk to the person. I make sure they're okay. Medics, this and that. And it's, it, it, it's like, damn, I don't, I don't want to do that to somebody. I'm doing it because that's the purpose of this right now. But out in the street, like, I don't want to beat somebody up and do it. I'll, I will if I have to. If somebody's threatening me or my family or my friends, I'll protect them. But I don't want to. I don't. I, I know what the consequences are. So if you know the consequences, you're not going to trigger to do that. And the, the reason why a lot of people fight is because they don't. They have nothing to lose. They don't understand that. So for me, my my concept is the more people fight and train in a, a safe, controlled environment, the less you'll have to do it outside because you carry yourself with a type of confidence that you know how to fight. People that are bullies only bully weak people. They don't bully strong people. So when they look at you and they say, oh, shit, that person looks like they kind of know what they're doing. They're walking in a certain way. Okay, you know what? That's the wrong person to mess with. Let me go find somebody else. And if you have to keep shifting, let me find somebody else. Let me find somebody else. Let me find. If you don't find nobody, there's no need to fight. I love that quote. I really do. If you know how to fight, you never need to fight. Mm -hmm. Is that what you said? That's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. And uh, one of the things I think that's, you know, the self-defense element of it is important. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it's, especially as women, you know, we kind of, you know, feel at times vulnerable, especially when you have children, you're out with your kids. Yep. I'm not one to feel unsafe. I mean, I'm kind of a bit naive that way, traveling the world and probably mm -hmm. doing things I shouldn't be doing in places I shouldn't be doing it. But and by that, I mean, just not with, you know, not in of a course, safe way. Yeah, of course. Um, but, you know, it's, I think it's vital. And I wanted to know about your personal training. So do you incorporate some of that mind discipline that you teach your students in Taekwondo into your personal training? Because I would think that would be really valuable. I do. Yes, absolutely. So um, a lot of my clients, they enjoy the boxing side of it, the, the, the fighting side of it. So I try to incorporate both. Um, even if it's not physically hitting something, certain movement patterns or certain exercises that can emulate kicking and punching is great. And even like core stuff, like core work, like kind of zone in. Sometimes I think about it because growing up, I don't remember doing a lot. Like we did planks and sit-ups and that type of stuff, but I don't remember doing like there's, I mean, in this day and age too, there's so many different exercises to do. And so many people are trying to create new exercises, the new this, the new that. But I, I think to myself, like, I, I used, I, I mean, I still do, but I had a great, I had a strong core growing up. And you know, why was my core so tough? And really, it was tough because I used to get kicked all the time. Every day for two hours, I would get kicked. I'd wear a chest protector, but I still, you still feel it. And so that stiffens and tightens the core and braces it. And so I incorporate that with my clients sometimes. They'll be doing something and I'll tag their, their stomach a little bit. I'll hit them a little bit, tighten it up, stiffen it up, you know, feel what this is like. And by feeling that, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm giving it 1% better. I'm getting it 1% stronger. I'm making it 1% tougher. And so I definitely incorporate martial arts into the way that I train my clients. Now, not every client likes that. Not every client is a fighter. Some clients are like, I don't, I don't like the boxing, the kicking. Like, I don't care about that stuff. And that's fine. I'll still incorporate exercises that are similar to it. But over time, I try to get them into some form of it just because, again, I want you to know what it's like. If push comes to shove, you need to protect yourself. We don't know what the heck is going to go on out there. You need to protect yourself. 
especially if you're a female. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and also what you say about the core is so true. I have a back injury. A million people have mm -hmm. back injuries, mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. core is the center of it all, right? Yep. If you have mm -hmm. a uh, if you have a strong core, likely you don't have that back injury or that back injury is in remission. Right. Uh, my core is very weak right now. I haven't worked out for ages. I noticed that if I bend down the wrong way, it tweaks, you know, so uh, I'll be coming in to see you. And I do uh, like to fight and I do have a bit of rage. So, uh, you know, it's suppressed, but we'll work it out. Absolutely. I got you. No worries. <laughs> it's nothing serious. Don't worry. Oh, it's all good. So I wanted to ask you about uh, this, you know, this kind of there's these misconceptions around martial arts. It's it's like, you know, the badass, you know, I'm going to punch you in the face on a black belt type of, you know, language that's used around it. I think you've clarified some of that by really talking about the fact that it's really more about defending yourself and controlling your mind and, of course, fighting on a competitive level, et cetera. But what do you think is is one of the biggest misconceptions about ta Taekwondo and or martial arts that you want to clarify or debunk? So <clears throat> I was thinking about that. And it's um, so, I mean, back in the day, there there were a lot of misconceptions and I'm sure there still are. Um, what's kind of brought martial arts into more popularity, of course, is the UFC. In the last 20 years, of course, the UFC popularizing it has allowed a lot of people to get into martial arts. And by getting into martial arts, it has helped to debunk a lot of these misconceptions, like, oh, they're tough, they're strong. It, not to say that they're not. Don't get me wrong. You do not want to mess with a martial artist. That is the wrong person to pick a fight with. But if you know a martial artist, if you're around a martial artist, they are never looking for a fight. Even if, you, even if something is happening, they're always looking to de-escalate it. They're not looking to get into it. Because again, like I said, if you know what the consequences are, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how strong, how tough, or what, if somebody has a gun, if somebody has a knife, what, what, like, what are we doing? Like, well, yes, of course, we teach self-defenses for that too, but you never know what's going to happen. Is it worth it? Is it worth risking your life to to show somebody that, to show people, to show yourself, oh, I, I did this and so I can, no. At the end of the day, you speak about it. Okay, listen, man, I'm not the person to be messing around with. Why don't we figure this out? Why don't we de-escalate this? This is not what we want. And if you're able to do that, then obviously there's no issue, right? So my whole thing with that is I don't really see, I mean, anytime I introduce myself and I kind of say that I got to take one back or whatever, the first thing that most people kind of say is, oh, I don't, we shouldn't mess with this guy, you know? And it's, it's funny that they say okay. that. And I, and it's, it's, it's a, and I always say, oh, no, no, you, bro, you never know. Like, you could beat me up, probably. Who knows? You, you never know. Right? I doubt it. <laughs> but the thing is, that that's the the side of what martial arts gives you is it gives you, you should be humble. You should be, you you have to take it as it is. Because, again, I don't know who this person is. I, yes. be, I, I do Taekwondo. He could do boxing. This person could do judo. This person does, you know, uh, uh, kickboxing, Muay Thai. Like, everybody's dangerous for what they do. So, at the end of the day... The only the, the only conception you need to have or the only understanding you need to have is that if, if if there's a martial artist around, you don't want to mess with them and you don't want to mess with anybody that's their people. So mm -hmm. I don't I don't really see um, I mean, the whole badass thing, I, I have yet to meet a, a proper martial artist, someone that did it their whole life, did it for, you know, a finite, a, a long period of time and like flaunted themselves walked around with their chest up and tough and you know i'm a black belt and 
people that usually do that are the ones that didn't really absorb the concept of martial arts. Mm -hmm. The ones that probably didn't do very well in training, probably got beat up a lot, didn't, didn't, uh, um, didn't really make a lot of friends, didn't really connect properly, but was able to get certain belts, whatever. And then, oh, I'm a tough guy because I got this belt. Yes. Those are not real martial artists. Yes. And you just illustrated it perfectly there. And I don't even think you realized you did it. But you said, uh, you know, I meet someone and I don't know what their background is. So you're not naturally assuming you're the strongest person in the room. Well, mm -hmm. Likely you are. But mm -hmm. you're naturally you're not assuming that. Mm -hmm. And that comes with the discipline that you've developed over many years of practicing this and training. 100%. So, isn't that interesting? Like you probably didn't even know that. You I were... didn't. I didn't. And it's funny that you say that because now that you say that, it kind of clicks into the reason why I feel that. And the reason why I feel that is I trained at definitely the best school in Ontario and probably the best school in Canada. Like my, my master he created national champions, Olympians. Like it, it, this was just what he did. He had had a school and it was just, we just were a bunch of warriors that trained there. So for me, I always remember, I was like, okay, if I can survive in my school, nobody's going to be able to touch me. And that's what helped me become one of the best in the country and even one of the best in the world. But when I went to other countries, and of course, I'm going into these competitions, like I'm going to win. I'm the best. Like if you're not thinking about, if you're not thinking like that, then you're not ready. You're not meant to be at the top. So I go to these different countries, different competitions, and I'm the best. Like there's nobody that's going to beat me. And then of course, I come up, come up against great fighters from different countries. And sometimes I'd win, sometimes I'd lose, but it would humble me and be like, oh shit. Okay, cool. Like I thought I was sick. And then I saw this guy who doesn't look like, a, like I'm looking at this guy, like I'm going to eat his food. Like it's going to be dinner. And he put up a fight or he beat me. And it's like, God damn, okay, I got to go back to the drawing board. But you can't just look. And and a lot of people did that with me, actually. So Canada is not, I mean, in sports in general, they're not, outside of hockey, they're not very great. Like we, we go into international competitions and we always get our butt whooped. That We just don't fund our athletes properly. We're not training the way other countries are training. Taekwondo yes. no, is no different. So when countries would see Canada at, on the tree as their fight, they'd be like, oh, this is, unless you knew who the fighter was, more times than not, they're like, oh, Canada, that should be an easy fight. So mm -hmm. I was one of those guys, like, you know, countries would see me and be like, okay, this brown guy from Canada, like, what, what, what is, he's probably not a good fighter. Like, oh, it's probably going to be easy. Mm -hmm. And then once I, once I showed them what it was about, I love, I love earning people's respect. I love that. I don't want you to give me your respect. I will earn your respect. I'll show you in the ring what I can do. And that was the beauty of it. And so that's, it goes, it works both ways. I'll look at you and be like, oh, he looks kind of tough and he was easy. Uh, I'll look at somebody else and be like, oh, he looks easy and he was tough and vice versa. You look at me and be like, oh, he seems like he's probably easy he's from Canada. Brown guy doesn't probably doesn't know how to fight. And I'll show you how good I could fight. Mm. So that's um, that's really what it comes down to is without me really knowing, I, I was I was talking about that because at the end of the day, you don't know if you're the toughest guy in the room. You yeah. don't. Yeah. It's uh, it's so interesting because the the mind control and the discipline that this uh, provides to you, and it obviously takes time, uh, you know, and consistency. But I think that it could be incorporated into so many different outlets to support people, such as those who are incarcerated for violence and ongoing violence. You mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. um, people who are struggling perhaps with mental health issues. Um, a whole bunch of different 
ways in which the discipline, the mind control, and the physical element of this sport could help people to succeed, not only with their health, but with their thinking and their mind. And we all know that our mind, our thinking, our brain is really where it's at. That's that's yeah. going to control where you go, how you do, and how you feel. Yeah. Um, so it, it would be really interesting to see Taekwondo uh, and martial arts as a whole really expand um, its power to help people essentially um, into other areas such as what I mentioned, you know, people who are, you know, continuously incarcerated for violent acts or whatever it may be um, and really teaching them and disciplining them in the way in which you were over the years. So that's really okay. And that, that might be, that might be a good uh, avenue for me to think about in the future for um, how, kind of, um, providing my services for people that have that, those, those, um, those issues or going through those situations. Yes. Uh, and it's not, obviously it wouldn't be for profit. It would just be to help them out and mm-hmm. be a way to give them a vehicle to help them kind of get back on their feet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of, you know, this is a bit controversial, but at the end of the day, men who are involved in, in intimate partner violence, domestic violence, mm-hmm. um, it's rare that they're involved in it um, against their spouse, which is an incredible, unfortunate reality in many countries around the world, including mm-hmm. ours. Yeah. Um, but it's rare that they're involved in it just because they are. It's mm-hmm. usually because of a trauma, uh, yeah. a deep rooted anger. Um, something along those lines. So even supporting them in helping them to heal from the, whatever it is that's causing that violence, not to say that relationship should or would work, but at least that individual would be on their way to some type of recovery, which is interesting. 100%. Uh, okay, Team Canada. So this is, you know, uh, you don't just go and work out for a couple of years and then slap on the flag and say, here I am. So this is a huge accomplishment. Um, congratulations. It's amazing. You. Um, you must be incredibly proud. I know you're modest um, and humble, but uh, it's just really a phenomenal accomplishment. Um, and I hope that uh, I know that deep down, you know that, but what would you say the experience was like for you overall? And, and can you describe a highlight of it for me? Yeah. So uh, I, I was very fortunate that, uh, again, I, I trained at a high high level um, training center or gym studio. Um, had great teammates to push me. Had senior. Uh, the The beauty of our our studio was that we had a high performance training uh, class from eight to ten p.m. every day. And if you were ready and qualified, it didn't matter how old you were. Obviously, you'd have to be maybe about 12 or 13 or so to, to jump into these classes. But I think I started when I was maybe like 10 or 11. It's because I loved it so much and my master saw potential in me. But what was nice was you'd be training with like 25-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 35-year-olds. It didn't matter. All these guys and girls were had their own goals that they were trying to get to. And if you stepped into this training, this training time frame, you better be ready. Because we're not going to baby you or, you know, again, like we're not going to make sure you're having a good training session just because it's your first training session or you're young or whatever. No, if you decide to come in here, you better be ready to fight. You better be ready to go to war. And 
So that definitely helped me and kind of shifted my mindset to be a lot sharper and stronger and allowed me to essentially dominate at nationals when I went to nationals for the first few years when I was a junior. And then transitioning into senior, it was a, I don't want to say it was a, it was a crazy challenge, but it was definitely different, right? When you're fighting 14, 15, 16 year olds versus when you get to the senior level, it's 16 plus. So I can fight. Uh, I remember when I was like 17 years old fighting a 30 year old. Wow. So you look at it both ways, right? Like the 30 year old has to look at it like, oh, this is a kid. This is easy for me. And then I look at it as, oh, this guy's an old guy. You know, I got energy. I'm young. I'm fast. I'm going to run laps around him, you know? Um, so a little bit of a chess match, chess match like that. But I was fortunate enough to make the national team uh, for over a decade. And there was, it was ups and downs. Obviously, it, it was what I wanted to do. And I, the goal to make the national team was to go to bigger competitions, either world championships, Pan Am championships. I was able to go to Pan Am Games in 2011 in Mexico. And then ultimately the goal was Olympics, which I didn't unfortunately get to. But the the highs and lows were, obviously the highs were traveling. Traveling, competing, making new friends. That was, that was one of the, the biggest highlights was making friends in all these different countries, in England, Mexico, Germany, China. Didn't matter where I went and what I did. When I, when I went, stepped on the mat, I made sure everybody knew who I was. And I was able to garner some respect. And through those, through that respect, I was able to foster some friendships. Amazing. And I mean, highlights, there, there were a couple of different competitions. I mean, I won Korea Open. I won Dutch Open. Uh, Pan Am Championships, I've won. World Championships, I got top eight. Uh, in my peak, I was top 10 in the world, ranking-wise. Wow. And what, do you remember the age you were at that time? Uh, at the time, I think I was 22, Okay. From anywhere from like 21 to 23, 24. Um, so I was top 10 in the world in my ranking, and then obviously I was number one in Canada. Um, and so the, the, that, was, that was, it was beautiful. You know, you had some reoccurring people that constantly made the national team, so you'd create bonds with them. The national team was predominantly Quebec and Ontario, with trickles of BC, Saskatchewan, Newfoundland, like a couple athletes from here and there, but it was predominantly Quebec and Ontario. So created some friendships there uh, so that, you know, when you drive down to Montreal, you can hang out with some friends, you know, do a little bit of training, whatever it may be. The lows were essentially the biggest thing was really just funding. Funding was very tough for us. Um, initially, when I first started, it was it was decent. We got most things covered. And I believe like that's the way it should be. If you're on the national team representing the country, you should have your your trip covered. Yes. And then and you should also have a, you should also be getting a little bit of per diem. Yes. So I had that for a little bit very, very early on in my career. And then things started to change. I don't know where the money went, how they were doing stuff. I'm sure I don't want to speak ill of the Federation if I don't know what really is going on. But I'm sure that stuff was stuff was going on. It's just politics, right? This is yes. all sports, all countries. They all have the same crap going on. And so I would start making national teams and I would have to pay out if I didn't if I was in a certain ranking in the world. Or if I didn't have a certain amount of points, I would have to pay out of my pocket a certain amount, a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks, three thousand bucks. And I was like, it's already wow. good. And we'd go to these competitions and you'd see countries like Italy, England, 
Germany, and they'd be eating real well. Korea, Mexico, they'd be eating well. They'd be training hard, doing all this stuff. And then for us, like we're paying out of our pocket. So I gotta, I can't, I can't pay for this. I can't buy that. This food is too expensive. This is too much. And like, so those were the types of things that were a little bit frustrating and difficult for us as athletes uh, on Team Canada. So those were some of the lows and it was very, very frustrating in that sense. But overall, I, I mean, I had a great experience. Uh, it gave me so much. I got to travel the world at the, I remember, I remember by the time, by the time I graduated high school, I'd already been to so many different countries. And I remember friends being like, yo, like, man, you're so lucky. And again, don't get me wrong. I was lucky to go to these countries, but I didn't, it's not like I went to Mexico or I went to Italy or I went to China or I went to Korea and I was just chilling. Like I literally went there, went, trained, competed and left. And that was the other thing too, was sometimes some countries would go to their competition, like maybe four or five days before to get acclimated to get ready and stuff like that. But we would only go like a couple days before because we didn't have, they didn't fund us properly. They didn't want to pay for a long trip. And even sometimes what they would do is we'd go to world championships and world championships is usually like a five day event. And if you fought on the first or second day, they book your ticket to leave on like the third day. And it's like, yo, I'm trying to be here with my team. But so by the end of it, like you'd have Team Canada supposed to be 16 people and you'd only have like at any given day, you'd only have maybe about seven people there or eight people there. And then you'd have like Team USA with all 16 people cheering and going crazy and stuff. So all these things played a little role, yes, um, which was difficult and frustrating. And I always voiced my opinion. I was always, I have a, uh, like a, I don't, I don't like my, my, excuse my language, but I don't give a fuck type of like attitude. And sometimes it obviously more times than not, it kind of gets me in trouble, but I'm true to who I am. And, and I get, I get friends all the time being like, yo Sid, can you just shut up sometimes? Can you just like, you know, like, just be like, just be quiet. And I'm like, listen, if I'm just saying it because it's me, then okay, that's fine. I could be in the wrong. But if a lot of people are feeling the same thing, but nobody wants to say it because obviously nobody wants to step on anybody's toes or get blackballed or black, you know what I mean? I'll be the guy. I don't care because at the end of the day, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not being disrespectful. I'm just speaking the truth. Yes. And you can't really do anything to me. Like there's, if I don't make the national team, it's because I lost. Fortunately in our country, they can't, they could try, but they can't really do any type of politics stuff. Oh, I want this person to go, not that person to go. In other countries, they do that. So people shut up. I can't speak my mind because then the president is going to pick this person over me, even though I deserve to go. In our country, it wasn't like that. So I could speak my mind. Yes. And so that, that's, uh, so, I mean, with the Federation, I, I have like a, a an up and down relationship with them. It's mm -hmm. it's not the worst, but it's not great. Uh, but ultimately for me, it was like, I needed to voice my opinion for the athletes, uh, whether they liked it or not, I, I needed to do it because it's just not fair. It's not fair for us to put our blood, sweat and tears, work our asses off, make the team and then still have to fund ourselves and still have to worry about what we're gonna eat and still have to worry about all this stuff. It just, it's ridiculous. Yeah, know? it's it's a full time job, and you're sure. representing the nation. Um, I don't know how it currently is, but I've heard about this in other sports. I'd be interested to know the status. Um, it's you sound like me when it comes to having a big mouth about issues you care about. So mm -hmm. we're on the same page there. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's disappointing. Do you think if the funding had been improved, that you would have stayed longer in the sport? Yeah, for sure. And I think it would have been 
easier for me to to transition because that's the other thing too is we don't because we don't have a a real like training center facility or something like that because Canada is big it's a big country I know that but if they invest in something and try to even if it's okay everybody's coming to Ontario everybody's going to Quebec everybody has to go to BC to train or whatever and like for example in Mexico their training centers in Mexico City doesn't matter where you live if you want to be on the national team you got to go live in Mexico City and they provide housing and all those types of things. And yes, of course, you're away from your family, but this is what you've decided to do. And by doing this, you'll be able to provide for your family in the future. So I feel like if there was better funding, if we had a a, a, a facility and all those types of things, I would have been able to transition into being a high performance coach or something like that for the, because I mean, like I said, I've been doing this for so long. I have so much knowledge and wealth to give back. Um, and, and I was doing it for decades where I was, I was like fighting people and then I was fighting their students afterwards. And then like, you know, like I was in the game for a long enough time where I was like fighting certain people. And then after that, I was fighting either their kids or their brothers or their students or whatever, because I was in it for so long. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it is what it is. And uh, no, don't want to look at it negatively too much because that's another issue too, that I want to get better at too. And it's just like finding the positivity and everything. Right. Um, and the positivity is that I got to travel the world. I got to meet amazing people and I got to do what I love to do, just fight people. Like how can, who's going to say, you know, I went to Qatar to go fight somebody. I went to Kazakhstan to go fight somebody like who, like that's, it's amazing. Yeah. So, and what you've developed now, I'm sure it helps you in your relationships with every, every, in every element. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure that it, you know, the, some things are meant to be, you know, it's unfortunate and it needs to change the funding issue. But, you know, perhaps your place at this time is to be there for people, youth, others uh, who are potentially in trouble, who may need you and your expertise uh, to provide them with your knowledge and discipline that you've gathered over so many years of training. I don't know. It's just one way to look at it. No, I, know you, I know you made a difference in my son's life. So that's one child that is changed. because of that. I appreciate that. And I have gotten messages from parents in the past, um, students, and just like being like, thank you. I appreciate you. I mean, I had um, an ex-client of mine, an ex-student whose dad just messaged me and was like, hey, kid is having a little bit of a hard time in school. We'd love for you to, like, he still talks about you. Like, we'd love for you to come talk to him. And I was like, of course, like 100%, I'll do that. Like, that's that's my purpose now. My purpose in the past was about me and making me the best. And now it's about making everybody else the best. because. I'm not going to be here for a very long time. So let me give as much as I can back just the same way I got, because otherwise, like I said, I wouldn't be where I am today. If it wasn't for the people that beat me up, that made me stronger, that made me smarter, that made me wiser, made me more confident. And so I got to do the same thing. It'd be stupid and selfish for me not to. That's amazing. I have, I have two more questions for you, but before I ask them, I want to just quickly let my listeners know, um, Master Bat, as we know him, as um, my son's from our Taekwondo um, master, uh, we were having some challenges with my son. And Master Bat not only trained him during his Taekwondo sessions, but actually offered to phone the house and speak with my son when we were having challenges. So I would say to my son, Master Bat is gonna be calling here if we continue to have challenges and he would like to talk about it. 
And that would really put some intimidation and some thinking into my son's mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was actually a point when you did have a conversation with him on the phone, okay. I believe. Okay. I remember that. And uh, so, you know, an individual who goes far and beyond, um, you know, you're not paid to, to do that type of thing. You're paid to train at the studio uh, and provide that service, but um, went uh, above and beyond. So obviously you clearly have a passion for what you're doing and uh, working with the, with the youth and others. That's amazing. Um, so there's a couple of final questions that I want to get from you before I let you go. Uh, so. I have seen you a couple of times walking the streets of Vancouver, and I've also seen some photos on your Instagram of this amazing cat. Everyone knows I love animals. Mm -hmm. Love is an understatement, and it's not what you would think. And here's the cat I see on my video. Beautiful. You wouldn't think that someone, again, we go with this misconception and the stereotype, this, you know, the black belt fighter would have a cat on his shoulders walking the streets, just like it's no biggie. So tell me about your relationship with this cat, what this relationship with animals means to you and what it's all about. Yeah, so he's, he's, uh, he's, he's something else. He's different. So I've always wanted a pet growing up. I've always wanted a pet. I've always wanted a dog. I was not a cat person, uh, just like I'm, I'm sure most people who've interacted with cats, like, uh, uh, you just don't, they're, they're just, they're difficult animals to understand. And that's why I love them because they're like humans. Um, and so I've always wanted a dog. We just, growing up, we just didn't, I guess, didn't have the space. It's, I understand how difficult it is. So I get it. My mom was essentially a single mom. We had help with the grandparents and stuff like that, but it was tough. And so with two kids, it's like, we're not having an animal on top of that. And honestly, my brother and I probably wouldn't have taken care of it pretty well, very well. So it was probably a smart decision. Then I remember um, one of my friends, I used to hang out with him and he had a Bengal. And this cat is, it's just a beautiful cat. And I remember going to his place and the way this cat would be with him was literally like how a dog would act with its owner. And I'd never seen anything like that before. Like we'd get to his place and then the cat would be at the door, like meowing, waiting for him to open the door. Then he'd come inside and go sit down and the cat would come and jump on his lap and like, and he'd be talking to him and the cat would be talking back to him. And I'm just like, yo, bro, cats do this? Like what? This is crazy. And then over time, I kind of built a little bit of a bond with the cat too. And I was like, damn, this is, this is wicked. Like I know, I know dogs love everybody and all that type of stuff, but like, I've never seen a cat do this. So then I was like, that really shifted my mind on cats. And then I told myself, okay, you know what? I obviously, I still want a dog, but if I get a cat, my cat is going to be a gangster. He's going to just be the cat of all cats. He needs to, essentially what this cat did for me, I want my cat to do for everybody else. And so with Wheezy, so his name is Weasel, um, but I call him Wheezy for short. Okay. With him, what happened to him was my brother adopted a uh, tabby, an outdoor cat, and she would go. Um, she would go out and do her thing and come back. And, and and my brother adopted her because she just kept showing up at the house. And they all they had to do was really feed uh, the cat. They didn't they didn't have litter or anything like that because the cat would just go outside when it needs to use a washroom. It was honestly like an outdoor dog. Right. And one day the cat comes back home and just sitting on the floor. And all of a sudden, boom, it just starts giving birth. Oh, my goodness. And yeah, so these guys, so my brother was living with his friends at the time. And so it was like five guys in the house. And they're like, yo, what are we going to do with all these kittens? And so they started obviously giving the cats away. And then the, the, 
the mom cat would do this. She did it quite frequently. In a year, she gave birth like maybe about five times, four or five times, something crazy. So they had to get her spayed because the vet was like, if she keeps giving birth like this, she's going to get cancer. So I think it was the last batch. Um, all the kittens were given away. There was two kittens left. My brother had to fumigate that house. So he brought the two kittens to where we live. Now, my mom does not like cats. And I think it's a cultural thing because a lot of brown people, I've realized, like, they're very terrified of cats. And I asked my mom, like, what, like, I remember my, like, my mom would see the cat and, like, be shaky. And, like, I was like, yo, mom, like, it's, it's like the size of my hand. I could, I could crush it if I needed to. Like, it's not that serious. I don't get it. But you want a big dog, like, you want your, your, like, it doesn't make any sense. But I, I know one of the things is obviously the, the neat, the, the cleanliness aspect of it. Yes. Like having the hair all over the place and stuff like that. It is a cultural thing for sure. It's a, yeah. So what happened was I, I remember getting home. I was out. I remember coming home and the cats were in like a room outside of the house. Uh, like we, we had like a little uh, storage room and with a glass door. And so the cats, the two cats were out there. And I was like, yo, mom, bring them inside. Why are they out there? Like, they're like almost like they're in jail out over there. Like, come on, like bring them in. She's like, I don't want them in the house, whatever. So one thing led to another and I'm, I'm playing with these cats. I came in, I brought them inside and I'm playing with these cats. And um, I was like, I'm gonna fall in love with one of these. Like, I just, I can't do it. And so my girlfriend, she was like, what do you want to name it? And I was like, I, I'm not going to name it. If I name it, then I'm going to keep this thing. Then you it's know? over. Yeah. I'm going to keep this thing. Exactly. So I was like, okay, leave it. Like it's, it's whatever. So my brother took both the cats away uh, or sorry. No, I think he had to keep both the cats there overnight. So then the next day I was like, okay, you know what? The one cat Wheezy, he was kind of a little bit more cuddly and a little bit more, you know? And so I was like, okay, I like this guy. And, and, and I was like, you know what, let me, let me just try this. I was like, yo, mom, we're going to keep the kids. So this was during COVID, right? So living at home, we're not going out anywhere doing anything. So I was like, mom, I'm going to keep this cat. And she was like, no, it's not allowed in the house. I was like, let me just, just a couple of days. Let me see what's good and take it from there. I'm probably not even going to like it, whatever. A few days went by, we named the cat. And from there on, it's been like, he's just been, he's been everything to me. So what happened was when I got him, I was like, you know what? I've always wanted a dog. He's obviously not a dog. He's not going to be able to walk. So I got to figure out how I can take him places because I want to just like, he's my child. He's going to be my child eventually. I didn't think about it like that, but I was just like, he's my pet. People take dogs all over the place. Why can't I take my cat? So I didn't want to carry him like a little baby. So I was like, what can I do with him? How can I carry him? And I didn't want to get a backpack. And because then I was like, okay, nobody's going to see him. He's going to be in the backpack. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to put him on my shoulder. Let's put him on my shoulder and see how that goes. So started off at home. Put him on my shoulder. Obviously, he was a little scared. He's a little kitten. And just kind of, I'd walk around a little. And then he'd kind of find a place, an area, and kind of jump off. And then I'd, like, grab him. And it, it's funny, but I disciplined him the same way that I disciplined my kids, the same way that oh. I disciplined you know? Like, I, I grabbed him, I, and I spoke to him. I was like, hey, you got to stay on me. Like, don't jump off. Like, it's not okay. Boom, put him back on. Walk around. Jump. So it took some time but then he'd stay on a little. Then I was like, okay, let's test this out. Went outside, walked around the block. Everything was good. Then I just started to open up the radius, open up the radius. And then the next thing you know, I'm walking with him in the mall. I'm walking with him on the streets. I'm jumping on it. So in Toronto, you can take pets on the Cause over here, it's so crazy. You can't have animals on the transit unless they're in a bag. So like, if you have a big animal, you have to have a car. That's so nuts. In yes. Toronto, you can take your pets 
on this on this on the streetcar subway whatever it may be so i take him on the streetcar i take him on the subway I take him through and there's the the way he shut down streets and, and like the way i say like he shuts down the world like because nobody's used to that nobody's used to seeing a cat there are there are people that that have cats on their shoulders or walk around with their cats or on a leash far, maybe the odd time yeah but it's far and few between very very rare so he just became like he became an icon essentially like he's just he's just this dude that every it, it's so funny just the, the amount of people that and it's really what's what kills me is the reactions that i get like i get like grown-ass people meowing at him and and like you know like uh, it, it's so funny it's like you don't understand that language why are you trying to talk that like if you want to talk to my cat just speak to him in english you understand okay. english he might understand english but just speak to him in english doing the meows doesn't make sense but yeah, it's just yeah. funny it's funny to see you know um and yeah, he's just been, he's just been a positive light in my life in our life and everybody's life. And every time I walk down the street, it's just crazy to see people's facial expressions change from like, I'll see someone that's super grumpy and then they just, it flips to like, just super happy and super like, oh my God, like, you know, or shocked or like, I'll have people like frozen. I've had, I've seen people rollerblading down the seawall and like, I hear, and they'd like rollerblade back and be like, is that a cat on your show? Like, People just, you know, just stopping people dead in their tracks type of thing. And that's really, for me, that was, that was my goal with him was just to change people's perceptions of cats. Wow. They're not all asses. I mean, just like people, not all of them are asses. There's some, there's some people that are, and there's some cats that are, but the way I look at it too, is honestly, is your pet is a bribe as a byproduct of you, just like oh, your child is a byproduct of you, just like, so somebody said it to me yesterday actually and I love when people say it say that to me really like it, it really makes me feel good and makes me feel like I'm doing something right yesterday one of my coworkers was like man this cat is just so chill I took him to work and he was like man this cat is just so chill he's so zen and like I really believe that pets are a byproduct of their owners so like that obviously it makes sense because it's obviously who you are and I was like I appreciate and I've, I've only known this guy for a few weeks and he was like, and he said that, and I was like, yo, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Like, uh, I'm just trying to be better. I just want him to be better. I just, we just need the world to be better. You think you help each other, the two of you? Kind of a bit of, uh, you know, you know, he provides some comfort and uh, companionship, maybe a bit of uh, alternative therapy and vice versa. Oh, 100%. 100%. I've never, uh, I haven't been more happy in my life, and I haven't been more like, I haven't been more comfortable, obviously, like we have to all understand to be alone. And that's something that's always been tough for me. I'm an extrovert. I, I get energy off of people. I, I don't like being alone. Um, I feel, uh, I feel unworthy when I'm alone, you know, which is things that I'm working on as well too. But yeah. with him, it's just, it's amazing. I never feel like I'm alone. How old is he now? He's three. Three. Wow. Four. Well, I hope that, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've spotted you a couple of times on the street. Um, it's not only the cat. He's beautiful, by the way. Green eyes, right? Yes, green eyes, yeah. Yeah, cute. I saw the tattoo. I thought I was the one with the biggest tattoo of my animal on myself, <laughs> but I guess uh, you tiny. Um, <laughs> he's got, Master Bat has a ta beautiful tattoo of this cat uh, on his body. Anyway, um, it's, it's amazing to have the cat. I think having you is the last person that one would expect to have the shoulder cat, but you manage not only train a cat, which is some people think is impossible, but shoulder train a cat to walk with you upstairs. So it's a beautiful thing to see as we walk the city. Yeah, um, he can do tricks and stuff too, which is nice. Like I've actually, he's I've trained him. And the beauty of it too is 
he's so he's so he's so good for kids like I've helped so many kids get over that fear too like I had yes. students terrified to see him and I, and I have to speak to them and be like come here you what are you scared of right now you're scared of something hypothetical I understand that maybe another cat hurt you in the past but is this cat that cat no so let's try it again see what's going on and over over time like kids would come back and be like oh where's the cat and it's like okay why don't you say hi to me first then we'll go talk to the cat <laughs> but it's it's that understanding of getting over that fear that he helps so many people do uh that's beautiful it is animals are awesome i could do a million episodes on the way in which they they help the world it's just they they love everybody they're, should have a pet absolutely i had my dog for 16 and a half years he passed away this year and uh, i've never had a deeper pain it was horrible but uh I try to highlight the 16 and a half years of beauty and love that he brought. So that's where we, we are now. Mm-hmm. So Master Bat, Siddhartha Bat, um, former Team Canada champion. I'm going to provide a lot more information on your records and wins and all your amazing accomplishments. But this has just been such a, a fantastic discussion on not only what Taekwondo is, how it can help, how it works, but also your story and kind of different elements that people would really not expect from the discipline and the sport of Taekwondo. Um, and I end every conversation with asking about my guest's favorite nonprofit. Is there one or two that are close to your heart that you would like to, to mention? Yeah, so um, I was I was part of the uh, just like most people are the, the the Terry Fox run. I mean that foundation is just amazing, and we talk about. I mean, I I grew up and I my 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 dream was always to be like a professional athlete, and at, Terry Fox is it just exemplifies what an athlete really is. You know, persistence, uh, fighting through pain, fighting through toughness, fighting through obstacles, um, and so for me that's a really big one. Um, especially because I've participated in it as well and, and uh, donated as well. Um, and then, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a broader one, but anything to do with cancer, cancer research, helping cancer, and then obviously sick kids as well. Just it's, I was a premature baby. I was in an incubator. I wasn't supposed to survive. I wasn't, I'm not supposed to be here. Um, and so anytime I see kids that have, um, issues or or sicknesses or illnesses uh disabilities whatever it may be it really hurts obviously i mean like foundation that's really putting their time and effort into supporting these these uh situations it means a lot to me uh and i try to do the best that i can to continue supporting that and when i have my school we're definitely going to be donating to various foundations and various nonprofits because that's important you know uh, Amazing. It's, it's something that we have to do. We have to continue to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'll link to the um, nonprofits uh, on the episode so people can have a look as well as on social media for sure. Um, I want to thank you so much for your time. Uh, you've provided uh, a lot of knowledge and information. You've also inspired me. I, I have this little bit of a fire burning, I have to say. Um, no that. Wonder. I want to move. I want to get going. Um, something hasn't been right, and I don't want to fix it. I can't really put my finger on it, but you've 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 inspired me today, and so thank you for that. I don't know what you did or what you said, but it might be a mix of everything. Anyway, um, 
Thank you so much. And uh, congratulations on all your accomplishments. Kudos to what you do. Can't wait to hear about the future and what's to come for you and your school, your teachings, et cetera. And uh, I hope that we can catch up again at some point. Thank you, Sitarma, for being here today. Thank you, Rachel. I appreciate you. I appreciate the time. Um, uh, congratulations on your podcast. It's amazing. This is season two, correct? It is. And that's uh, that's amazing. Keep keep going. Keep uh, educating people. And this is, the, I mean, this is the beauty of podcasts. It's just having great conversations, learning a lot. Um, and if you uh, or your husband ever want to train, let me know. Thank you so much. Be kind and connect with authenticity. You are listening to Rachel Dixon Connects.